0: KG and this is not safe for networks.
1: Kentucky Skies. I'm Biggs. I'm Brennan.
0: I'm Carl.
2: I'm Jen.
1: That's my mom. <laughs> it's been a little while since you've been on the show, Mom.
2: Yeah, it has been.
1: Um. So we got a lot of stuff to hit, so we'll sort of launch into it. But we're going to start. You, you want to tell the story, Carl?
2: <laughs> well,
0: I mean, we worked together. And one day when we were sitting out back, I noticed how wrecked your shoes were. And financial situations prevented you from getting new shoes so you're walking around in squishy soles and horrible (laughs) nightmare i couldn't do it so i decided to get (laughs) you some new shoes
1: i live in terrible shoes often
0: (laughs) but uh, i also realized there's something about you that could be exploited with shoes (laughs) i suppose so
1: I have, like, this hatred of Michael Jordan, which I'm sure is well well documented on the podcast. But, uh, yeah, not a big Jordan fan. So...
0: <laughs> what kind of shoes do you got?
1: Yeah, I got some Air Jordans. I'm wearing sandals right now because it's, it's hot right now. <laughs> but, yeah, so... How much... Do you want to, like, float out how much you paid for those?
2: Well,
0: I'll say that if you want to get kid-sized... Uh, Jordan's are actually fairly affordable But you have size 14 feet (laughs) So the cheapest pair that I could find And they may even be like knockoffs Who even knows They came off the internet Uh, $120 Cheapest pair I could find (laughs) That's a a lot of money for a joke
3: (laughs) But that's the gift that keeps on giving though. (laughs) It makes it
0: really hard for you to turn down the joke (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have thought of that years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh I have this hatred of Michael Jordan that just completely derives from the 92 finals when they beat my Blazers. And I won't get into the whole thing, but like you bought it and I know you were talking with a bunch of people wasn't a lot of people like don't don't do this oh yeah
0: everyone was worried (laughs) in fact i was going to try to get people to help me pay for the shoes (laughs) and then when they all told me it was a bad idea and i did it anyways then now i don't want to take money from them (laughs) because you know I get all the credit now since, <laughs> since they thought it was going to be. A- the
2: only thing worse would have been if you could work in something about the Lakers with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll be honest, if it was like, a, I think you asked me if, if I got you a, a Bulls hat, would you wear it? And I was like, no, that's true. There's no way you would have squeezed me into a Bulls hat or like a shirt, but <laughs> I did need the shoes. and I thought it was really funny, <laughs> I thought it was really funny so like. Yeah, but uh, actually that leads me into, I was going to do a review of Uncle Drew here, so I I wanted to bring up, like, basketball movies in the past. They usually, they often do something well, but they screw up a lot of things. Um, Like, Hoosiers is a great movie. Like, purely a great movie, but it's basketball from the 50s. I mean, the movie's in the 80s, but it takes place in the 50s, so it's like, it seems very archaic when you watch it now. Like, The life lessons that Gene Hackman uses through basketball, they all work really well, but the basketball looks corny. Like quite, I mean, that's the era where people are shooting underhanded still, Hmm. you know? (laughs) So it it comes off as as kind of funny. And then you got like Blue Chips like came out when we're in high school, right? And like that was at the time a really great movie. And I think the story and the basketball are really good. But, like, it just, a lot of it doesn't hold up. Well, there's some character stuff that's a little bit iffy. Like, for example, Nick Nolte's ex-wife, they, like, hang out all the time and do all these things all the time. She does everything for them, but, like, their exes just doesn't really feel (laughs) real. And then also Nick Nolte, I guess, spoilers if you haven't seen this, like, 25-year-old movie, but, like... He's really against breaking the rules, like the collegiate rules, even though they don't make sense. And he winds up breaking the rules and then a reporter asked him about it and he just cops to it in the press conference. And that felt really weird because there was no progression to that. Like it was more just like all he was for breaking the rules all of a sudden and then he's not, you know. So that 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 came off as kinda odd. Um, above the rim, great basketball, horrible story. <laughs> like we don't have to delve into that very much. And then When we did the summer rerun Of the box office battles I made sure to put the basketball ones in there So I wouldn't have to talk about them this much Just go listen to the last episode But uh, like both of those movies Like Well okay so Amazing Grace and Chuck Not much basketball so it's hardly A basketball movie So it's a basketball movie without very much basketball And then you have like Fast Break which has great basketball But holy god it has aged poorly Like a lot of a lot of poor gay jokes and things like that. And so, like, we don't have, like, a great basketball movie that you can just watch. Uncle Drew manages to have a story with heart, be really funny, and have amazing basketball. Like, all the people who play basketball and really play basketball. In fact, the villain in it is played by Nick Kroll, who played college basketball. So the dude can actually play. And, like, he's only in it for a little bit, but, I mean, like... Like Kyrie Irving doesn't embarrass him, and you know he doesn't break his ankles or anything like that. So, and, and th- that's so great too. Like, ha- like Nick Kroll is like the worst. Like he's on the level of Ben Stiller in Dodgeball. <laughs> you know I mean? like he's, he's that kind of villain, but in a different way. Like he has all these. They're going to the Rucker like street ball championship, basically, and he's got. This thing on his bicep where he beat the main character played by Lil Rel uh, Howery, I think is how you say his name, but uh, he was the TSA agent in Get Out, um, like, really funny guy, and he's the guy who's basically, he's an orphan, he's never had a family, and he's kind of just looking for, like, like, a family in a way, and so this movie does a really good job of, like, A, putting him at the center, because, like he's more capable than the other guys are doing this, but all the other guys hold it down really well because they have limited parts, so they do a lot with their parts, if that makes sense. But uh, anyway, so Nick Kroll blocked Lil Rail Howley's shot in the finals, and so... Like He constantly shows him this tattoo that he has on his arm of where he got the first championship and then he's got another tattoo on his other bicep of the second championship and then at a certain point they go to play shirts and skins and he pulls it off and he has like all these other championships lined down in the happy trail <laughs> and he's like, don't worry, I got space on my sack for this next one. <laughs> like it's so obnoxious and funny. Uh, Kyrie Irving does a really good job as Uncle Drew. A lot of the calling people young bucks and like he kind of there's a lot of like uh like them bonding over certain songs but then clashing with them too like he listens to the Isley brothers in an eight track in his van and he's like oh i didn't know you get down with biggie smalls he's like this is the Isley brothers young buck <laughs> and, like, They're like fighting about that and so it's really funny the way they they go off on that but shack does a great job he like plays this character named big fella who's this giant center, who all, like trains kung fu in a dojo. And like, it's perfect. He has this crazy facial hair that looks like he's in a kung fu movie. And it, it actually, it really works because Shaq's into these things, so they cast him well. Uh, Chris Weber plays a guy named Preacher, who's a preacher. He knocks it out of the park. Um, Cheryl Miller is in a part and she's like, Preacher's Uh, wife who's like chasing after him for a big part but then at a certain part she goes in the game and they have this like crucial moment where she rolls down her Ted hose and then laces up some sneakers (laughs) and it's like yeah they have Reggie Miller as a legally blind small forward (laughs) (laughs) Um, and like Chris Weber they have a part where uh, they're, they're going to do this play and then like Kyrie Irving looks over at him and he's like there's no timeouts preacher. And he's like, are you sure? I thought we had one. He's like, no timeouts. <laughs> if you know basketball, you get that <laughs> joke, but um, it's who else did they have that I can't remember, but all of the, the old people are legit professional basketball players, with the exception of Kyrie Irving retired basketball players, but they can actually play basketball and they do, and they do a good job. And the people who play against them can clearly play basketball. So like they've had this really funny movie that also like works as a sports movie. It's just been a long time since I saw a sports movie period that worked. (laughs) <laughs> like, a lot of the time, they just, I don't know, like, sports movies isn't something that they make a whole lot anymore, and then they don't make them well anymore, so it was just really nice to sit down and, like, laugh for an hour and a half and actually, like, be blown away by some of the stuff on screen. That, that's my review of Uncle Drew. I'd highly recommend it. It's a family movie, too. You can take your family. Despite the happy trail jokes and stuff like that, like, I think kids would would laugh at a lot of it, because some of it's cartoony, but not cartoony like Space Jam. like actual like humans being cartoons i guess (laughs) but um let's move you want to talk about a show reverie
0: yeah first regarding basketball movies (coughs) uh, i don't have a whole lot of experience not a big fan uh, avoided a movie called The Basketball Diaries for the longest time because of the name. Leonardo
1: DiCaprio.
0: And because of him. <laughs> but then I watched it, and it it's actually really good. It's about this writer named Jim Carroll, and he's just this young drug addict that kind of does crazy stuff, and a bunch of his friends die, and it's horrible. Yeah, like, her- <laughs> like aren't they all on heroin or,
1: They're some or something? They're
0: taking lots of different things. I mean, there's one right. scene in the middle where they play basketball, But they're in the locker room beforehand, and they have this handful of different pills of all various shapes and sizes, and they don't know what any of them do. So they all, like, well, I'll take these pink ones. I'll take these yellow jackets. I'll take these ones. And they all just take them, and then they're all messed up on the basketball court trying to play and failing miserably in different ways because they're all on different drugs. And it's kind of just ridiculous. But you forgot about the best basketball movie of all time.
1: <laughs> Which one is that?
0: That would be Air Bud. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't forget Golden that. Retriever... <laughs> that Golden Retriever is better than every player that you name dropped.
1: Do you know how many sequels that has spawned? Oh. Yeah, and
0: he's like... Can play still basketball and yeah. baseball and football. He's, right, like, they did, they did he's a... like the Michael Jordan of dogs. Yeah. <laughs> So he only plays
1: basketball well, is what you're saying? Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, well, and he's, he's better team. than he's better than Michael Jordan then, because he's actually good at football. There you go.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then they spun it off into the buddies movies, which just went completely away from sports, went into Christmas a couple of times. Uh, there's like a snow buddies. Yep. Went into space. Yep. Space buddies. Yeah. Space.
2: Oh, oh, I'm so glad man, that it dog is, is so, amazing it's so, yeah,
1: no, that dog is not in any of those movies like I think the first buddies movie they have Air Bud and then they just hand it off to puppies for like the next I'm not exaggerating when I say seven movies at least
0: I wonder how many of those dogs are even still alive probably most of them are gone
1: Um, right? some of them probably are because they're <laughs> It's, they like they're still making them as a thing, but I'm sure they're different puppies every time, right? <laughs> like it's they're bred right into in the like one script. dog.
0: In the trailer.
1: <laughs> there you go. But you wanted to talk about Reverie. Right?
0: Reverie. So it's on NBC. Uh, I was drawn to it initially because it's got this actress uh, Sarah Shahi, who I know from a show called Person of Interest. That's really good. I highly recommend that. Although in today's like world of surveillance and whatnot, it might hit some of the stuff might hit too close to home. <laughs> but uh, reveries about this sort of virtual reality technology that is in completely immersive—like when you're in this thing, it's like a little disc on the side of your temple. But when they turn it on, you're just com- in a completely fabricated world, and uh, your subconscious has influence on it. So. It changes in unexpected ways. And different people are in it for different reasons, but people are starting to get trapped in it because you have to choose to leave reverie. And so people are just going into comas and in danger of their bodies failing while they're trapped in these worlds of their own making.
1: Because they're probably more fun than reality, I'm going <laughs> to guess.
0: There's lots of... Well, that's one of the fun things about the show is they've come up with lots of different reasons why people are in these things. And uh so usually it's a one-person experience, but they have beta technology of like a two-person. And so they send Sarah Shahi's character into other people's reveries to sort of convince them to come out or to help them figure out what why they're trapped. And she's got a back story as a hostage negotiator. She has all her own sort of psychological issues that she's dealing with. And part of the, while well, she's do, helping these other people, she's sort of helping herself because she's learning things about herself, and she's having an influence. The technology is like, the whoever writes the show is has a is in love with this idea that technology can save the world, because in every case the technology always works perfectly fine. There's no glitch or flaw in the technology. It's the people's brains themselves that are what's keeping them trapped in these different things. And so it's always some kind of a, you know, emotional thing. You know, there's one guy that uh, was suffered a home invasion. And so he was running around in his reverie as like a bank robber trying to sort of build up the courage to then face his attacker so that he would have the courage in real life to face his accuser because he'd seen the guy and he'd been threatened and, And so he was hiding in the reverie a little bit. But he was also sort of trying to teach himself how to be brave. (laughs) And so, like, then there's various different other stories and things. Like, there's a wide variety. Like, every episode kind of builds the world out a little bit more. And it the first episode was kind of mediocre. But it's been getting better with every episode. So that's pretty cool.
1: It kind of sounds like the premise is similar to The Cell without all the horror.
0: Yeah. I could... I could see that. Anybody
1: see The Cell? I've seen him many times. Have you seen him, Mom?
2: No, you know I'd I don't s- watch horror films. Yeah, cause...
1: but it's really good. <laughs> it's, got it's, me. <laughs> it's got Vincent D'Onofrio.
2: Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he is, I might watch he it. He is terrifying. Oh, you're going to hate him in this. <laughs> 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 he he yeah. plays bad pretty good.
1: Yeah, but it is. Yeah, it's pretty. I got to say it's not terrifying to me anymore, but I've seen it. A handful of times, but it was like terrifying when it came out. Like it, there is some like
3: it seems more like a suspense movie with a lot of gore.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is some horrific stuff in it for sure, but it's all in the well. It's mostly in the mind. It's okay. Well, let let me break it down for you. There's there's like a lady who is trapped in the cell where it starts filling with water every couple of hours. And so they know, they found the serial killer who like drowns all these victims, who's Vincent D'Onofrio, but he's in a coma. Uh And he's the only one who knows where the cell is, but they see video of it.
2: I remember trailers of that. Yeah. And And so so, they're walking around in his mind. Yeah. So they have
1: this like VR thing where they can like go into the mind. And Jennifer Lopez plays this uh, psychologist who... Like interacts and tries to figure out things, but it's like his mind is messed up, like a real messed <laughs> up. But it's it's real well done. I don't know if you'd like it or not. I
3: don't know. <laughs> it's a lot like Silence of the Lambs, sort of psychological thrillers. So. Yeah. Did you see some? No, you saw yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. I did. You like? it? I don't it? know
2: why. It, not really.
1: Because <laughs> it's too horrific.
2: I guess, and I don't know why. I don't like movies like that because, you know, I watch all this stuff about real serial killers all the time. Yeah. I just don't like it in movie form, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I guess. I don't know. I don't like I only say that's fair because I don't like watching stuff on serial killers, but I love it in movie form.
2: Yeah. So we're opposites, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, so a lot of times I'm more interested in how they caught the serial killer, honestly. So. Yeah,
1: me too, but in script form.
2: No, I, <laughs> I like the real thing.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I got another quick review here, and it's quick because I saw Jurassic World two, which I had. I went to see it on Movie Pass because me and my wife had a, like somehow got a free night off, so we looked at the movies that were playing. And my wife's like, what do you want to see? And I'm like, honestly, I want to see the three the same, which is like not all that much, but I'll go to any of the three of them just to kill time. So we wound up going to Jurassic World 2, and uh, I fell asleep for like probably two-thirds of the movie. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, What I saw of it, uninspired. (laughs) (laughs) But it's probably not a fair review, so I'll back (laughs) off. Did anybody actually see that movie? No. I did. You did,
2: but I don't remember that much about it now.
1: Yeah, except
2: I remembered at the time I thought, well, I don't like Jurassic Park movies, but I like this one better than the others.
1: Yeah, fair enough. It just uh, what I saw of it. Once again, take it with a grain of salt because I didn't see the whole thing. But what I saw of it, it just felt like they were just like checking boxes. You know what I mean? Just like okay, it's got to have dinosaur here, you got to have raptors here. Oh, here's a T. Rex thing. Like it just felt like.
2: Yeah, and there was calculated. all the weaponizing the dinosaurs. And
1: oh, yeah. They double down on that in this one. And running from yeah. a volcano.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm holding out until their dinosaurs have feathers. Then I'll start watching Jurassic yeah. Park movies. When it starts to
1: get more accurate.
0: Just like to... I mean, to what we know now about dinosaurs has changed from back well, then. but
3: Well, you know what's like, really interesting because like uh, Jack Horner, who's a paleontologist down at uh, MSU Bozeman he uh, when they did the first Jurassic Park movie he was brought on as to do the as a consultant for the dinosaurs and they've kind of kept him consulting throughout but and he's made lots of discoveries and they're just like eh we got this we got this and then we got like the dinosaurs went off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. By
1: the way, I want to get, do a quick plug for, we had a good life here because, uh, Matt Campbell met Jack Horner, like in a classroom and I'm not going to go into the whole story. You should listen to him unschool This story just, I, I don't know. Maybe they have like John Horner and as a keyword, but uh, I would really listen to that podcast because it's really funny. Like he went, his class was going to see John Horner and, uh, He doesn't like children. (laughs) He's a weird dude. Yeah, and he doesn't like kids. So um, Matt knew this, and he was looking for a dinosaur thing to have him autograph, and all he could find, (laughs) like he was looking last minute, and all he could find was a picture of the Loch Ness Monster, or not (laughs) a picture, but like a drawing of the Loch Ness Monster, so he brought it to Jack Horner. I'm just going to tease that there and leave that there. Because yeah. like Jack Horner looked at this picture and looked at Matt. And I'm just going to let you listen to the story because it's captivating.
2: <laughs> well, I did read the book, that the original. The Michael Crichton book. The Michael Crichton book. And I liked the book a lot more than the movies. The, and, the book was really
3: well done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And.
2: If I recall right, it's been like twenty years.
3: Yeah, it's been that long. Didn't
2: the dinosaurs just get off and were invading the actual world?
1: Yeah, that happened (laughs) in the second Jurassic Park, Mom.
2: Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, that that happened in
3: Lost World. They the the airborne dinosaurs I know got off the island, and pretty much everybody in the entire story, dies in the book. Yeah. With the exception of uh, uh, Sam Neill's character the and the gal and the two kids were the only four that yeah. survived. Laura Darren's character. Yeah.
2: And I remember coming away from the book thinking, I hope nobody ever tries this in real life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it'll happen someday, I'm sure. <laughs> Somebody will try if they haven't already. Uh well let's let's go from dinosaurs to comic books a little bit here. So um I just want to give a quick RIP to Steve Ditko. Mm-hmm. Uh he created Spider-Man, like did the the first drawings of Spider-Man and wrote the first, I don't know, maybe 40-50 issues of the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh he passed away at like age 90, I think. I thought and it was like 95. Maybe 95, yeah. He's definitely in his 90s. Respectable
0: but, age. Yeah. yeah.
1: But um Love love the work. Not sure I'm a fan of the man, but love the work. <laughs> uh, he is very much an uh, Ayn Rand Ooh. fan. Yeah, that's all you need to hear, right? Like,
3: <laughs> Says a lot. Yeah.
1: yeah, and tried to introduce those elements all the time. But he was also the one that created J. Jonah Jameson's image, which mm. was what uh, Stan Lee looked like in the 60s when they're doing it, and he was supposed to be a blowhard, so he made him look like Stan Lee because he was very <laughs> passive-aggressive. <laughs> so, yeah, so we were just talking about a couple weeks ago. He was the one that created The Question and yeah. uh, The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. That was Steve Ditko as well. Although <laughs> I don't know if he went into when they actually did the comic run of it, but he's the one that created the character back in like the 70s. She was just a joke character forever. But now, like, it's a very popular character. Like, it's this... Well, Squirrel Girl pretty accurately describes her. But she beats everybody. She's never lost a fight. So she's beaten, like, every... Thanos. Like
3: anyway. yeah, she's gone up against Thanos and yeah. Galactus. And, yeah. She's in extremely
0: capable hands right now, too. Because she's being written by this guy named Ryan North. And he's fully embraced her uh, quirkier qualities... And there are issues where uh, there's one that I really enjoyed where there's an invasion of this alien conqueror and she shows him an alternate way to do addition and subtraction based on this thing that uh, what's his name? Lewis Carroll wrote and it involves moving numbers vertically and horizontally on a grid instead of adding and subtracting. And this, Alien Overlord is so uh, impressed and excited with this new way of doing math that he just leaves <laughs> and, and stops trying to conquer Earth. So she accomplishes a lot with just like her mind. Yeah. And he, you know, he throws all these goofy squirrel facts in every issue that are like scientific squirrel facts and things of that nature. And it's a very fun read. It's a very fun read, and it's perfect for, like, kids, adolescent kids. But even the humor is good for adults, too, because this guy knows what he's doing. He's, like, a really funny guy. He writes Dinosaur Comics, which is a webcomic, and he's been doing it for, like, nine years. Is that
1: the one that always has the same panels? Same
0: six (laughs) panels every... So it's very wordy. Yeah. But then it's just always so funny.
1: Hmm. Um. So moving on from that, you had a review of Cloak and Dagger on the Freeform which Freeform. used to be ABC Family which used to be the Family Channel.
0: Is that where it came from? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's kind of moved it it can't be family anymore cuz those shows are m- much more adult yeah. now. They're like young adult. I'd say it's about the equivalent of one of those MTV young adult shows. Shows on on Freeform,
1: like a uh, Teen Wolf.
0: Uh Yeah, yeah. There's one another one called Siren that I watched the pilot of, and I didn't keep watching it because everyone on the show was too pretty to take seriously. <laughs>
1: so it was like a classic CW shows. Oh yeah, it was, oh, yeah. It was or
0: like Teen Wolf, like you said, where it's just like, no, I don't trust any of you. <laughs> um, but uh, this show's got, you know the. I think Tyrone and Tandy, a black boy and a white girl. And when they're children, there's this accident and they are sort of hit by this light while they're in the water. And then the movie cuts to them or the show cuts to them as teenagers and they don't know each other. And then they kind of cross paths inadvertently. And when they first cross paths, they touch and this power sort of gets unleashed and he's got this shadow power that allows him to sort of teleport. And also, when he touches somebody, he sees their deepest fears. And then she has the ability to create these like light daggers. daggers. Like, she projects them out of her palm. And they can cut through, like, anything. And when she touches somebody, she sees their biggest hopes. Like, their greatest hopes. And so... Um, it takes. It's a very slow-burning show. I'm on episode six now, and Tyrone's managed to use his power on purpose once. <laughs> <laughs> and she's kind of barely gotten the hang of hers. And they aren't really friends. The only thing they really have in common is this shared past that neither of them remember very clearly. And so they don't fully trust each other, but they've got this connection that's kind of unavoidable. And there's like a little splash of voodoo in there because it takes place in New Orleans. And it's technically still in all the Marvel canon with all the other shows. So they very, very generically mention other events that are, happen in movies and whatnot. The
1: incident or whatever. Things of, yeah, <laughs>
0: like that. Like very vague like that. But uh, the acting is really, really good. The characters are all great. Um, the, the way that it's shot feels a lot like comic booky and the duality of the two characters is expressed really well with the cinematography where like one character will close their hand and then it'll cut to the other person opening their hand and things of like that. And it, like lots of parallel stuff showing you an entire sequence and then showing you the whole same sequence, but from a different character's perspective and it's very arty and it's pretty well done though. I like it think i'm gonna check that one out yeah good i've oh, uh,
2: got it on dvr but i haven't watched it yet so. oh yeah <laughs>
0: yeah and it's it's on hulu too like if you if you have hulu you oh, can watch yeah. it there oh yeah that's what i'm watching gonna...
1: it on i was worried i'd have
3: to uh <clears throat> <laughs> get the eye patch out
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> um well, we're gonna try and talk about Ant Man and the Wasp. Brandon hasn't seen it, so we're gonna try and do it spoiler free. But mom, you wanna you wanna kind of give a broad overview of this movie? Oh, am I putting you on the spot? Yeah.
2: <laughs> do you want me
1: to do it? Yeah, you do it. <laughs> or, well, Carl, you had some criticisms, didn't you?
0: You want me to to start with a negative thing about? Oh, just what was it about? Yeah, the whole movie is them trying to get this building. It's the whole movie.
1: Yeah, the, the building is the MacGuffin. You've seen it in the trailers. It's got the handle that pulls
2: out. When they I want a building. building like that. Oh, it seems like the most
0: useful thing of all time. <laughs>
2: Just an insta-building.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely a thing. Of all the Marvel movies I've ever seen, I think that this is the movie where you have to sus- like suspend your belief as much as possible because to think that you could like shrink an entire building down to that size and then wheel it around on wheels and then when you make it full size again nothing has shifted inside <laughs> the building whatsoever it's it's like i i don't want to nitpick a movie like this because you really you're not supposed to right. like it's this movie fully embraces comic book titles. I thought about that
1: too I was always thinking every time they put in the trunk I'm like you're gonna damage the foundation when you drop it in
3: there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean the poor the poor guy that's like over leftovers like
2: what the fuck's going on
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's just being thrown about in the building
1: I mean <laughs> that
2: didn't bother me as much as what do you eat in that subatomic stage <laughs> That still bothers me.
1: Yeah, I Like, told, how do you live for How do you live for years? 30 years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told mom that was one of those things where the quantum realm is just like... It's like almost another planet, in a way. Like, it's another dimension, kind of. So, it's like... It has its own thing. I was like, don't, just like, don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was actually wondering, too, because... I mean, time works differently.
1: But no example. At level. that level.
0: So, I was wondering... If they were going to keep Michelle Pfeiffer de-aged when she, they found her at the end yeah. or not. But uh, I thought she looked great de-aged. And I thought yeah. she looked even better not de-aged. Like, she has aged beautifully. Yeah. She's amazing. And
1: very realistic looking when she's older. Like, very realistic
0: looking.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. they, they've really figured out that de-aging. I mean, like... I, I was sitting there watching. I was just like, I remember the first Ant Man they did that with Michael Douglas, and I was like, wow. Then you kind of rewatch it, and you can see some of the little holes in it. But I was watching yeah. this, knowing those holes, and I'm like, they're really getting
2: good at this. Well, when we first saw him young, I was like, where did they get the picture of Kurt Douglas? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing they, they Michael, did a good job yes, with.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They did a good job with Kurt Russell and Guardians too as well.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, I re- I really enjoyed Ant Man and the Wasp. It is a turn off your brain movie, but I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I know you didn't like Michael Pena, but he was one of my <laughs> favorite parts. Like he's so excitable. They had this whole run with truth serum that just made that me was laugh. Great. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty fun. And then of course they they revisit the whole him telling a story and then having all the people saying it, like doing the drunk history thing, right? They're
0: all <laughs> mouthing the words and he's doing all the narration and yeah, dialogue. And,
1: but I, I really enjoyed all that stuff. I thought the funniest scene in the movie was when Paul Rudd is shrunk down to like kid size. Cause his <laughs> suit is malfunctioning and he's like running through the school and then he gets into the van with, uh, with Michael Douglas and, uh, and he's like, you look grouchy. Do you want a cheese stick and a juice box? He's like, seriously? Do you have, do you have those
0: right <laughs> no. now? <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. <clears throat> and, uh, I also enjoyed the villain, which I won't get too much into for spoiler purposes, but um, it was it an interesting take on a villain. Um, something they haven't really done yet. Maybe one other time. I think they did it one other time, but I won't specifically say that because that is kind of a giveaway. Are you talking
1: about the motivations or the power?
0: Um, well, obviously the power that anything quantum related is, hasn't been done before. Really. That's what Ant-Man's for, right? Is for quantum related stuff. We got Dr. Strange for magic. We got Thor now for space and guardians for space. I Mm -hmm. suppose we've got, and we've got Ant-Man for quantum stuff. Uh, but the villain, no, it's more like the motivations, and then even like what happens at, to the villain at the end is mm-hmm. something they haven't done at all before. Which like I kind of,
1: yeah, don't want to give it away. Yeah, that that's spoiler, why I'm but...
0: not giving it away. Yeah, it is. It's not
1: <laughs> something new with the villain, but it's new to to MCU. Is and, that fair to say?
0: Yeah, and Evangeline Lily is is great as the Wasp. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to see her like. Fully coming into being a fully-fledged hero character now. So now she can be in other movies. Yeah. And that's going to be really great. Because, I mean, she's an iconic Avenger from... She was in Avengers 1. She was in, like, the first hundred issues of Avengers. She is, like, a staple Avenger.
1: And one thing that I really like... Founding member. One thing I like that they did in this movie was, like, the tone was very light and mm-hmm. they didn't touch Infinity War until the post
0: credits. The post credits. Oh, just man. Leave
1: it at that. <laughs> oh, that
0: was like. <laughs> I, I was in the theater just this afternoon, and there were just tons of little kids around me. Oh, I, I was that. surrounded by little kids, <laughs> but they all left before the credits, the post the credits sequence, because it was quite a long wait.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I was kind of glad. I was like, <laughs> because they were really, like, surprised. A few of them were surprisingly young, like, could not sit still. You know, yeah, they I were barely yeah. paying attention. But it's like, you don't want to see how that happened.
1: <laughs> no. I, I will say I walked into that movie, uh, and I think I've said it on the podcast before, but I was fully expecting what happened in that credit sequence. I didn't know who for sure. Like, I didn't quite. I, I nailed two of the three. Which is all that I'll say. But, like, I was the only one in that theater when I went to go see it who was expecting that. And I found mm. that wild that people saw Infinity War and just, like, never thought about yeah. it with this
2: movie. I <laughs> didn't be- think about it either. And then when I saw it, I thought, well, that's predictable. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs>
0: yeah. I bet you there were f- a few, maybe a few people, too, that were there because it's a Paul Rudd movie. That's That could be. That could be. You never moved. know why
1: people are in there, right?
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Moviegoers, yeah, air conditioning. But River yeah. was yelling,
1: I'm triggered now and all this stuff. And I was like, you didn't see that coming, really? <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, Brandon, you had some news on the, on the MCU front.
3: Yeah, Black Widow, they officially announced a director for... Black the Black Widow movie standalone movie. So it's for sure happening if they're getting yeah. a director. Yeah, they uh, hired Kate Shortland to do the director. She uh, the only thing I found was uh, there's a show Nazi drama that's a movie or show lore is oh yeah lore.
0: hmm a that's a show. Well, it was a podcast originally. The show is based off the podcast. Right.
1: I was asking... what did she doing? Did she direct the audio or the video? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Fair
0: I would good. imagine maybe Probably she on. directed yeah. an video. episode or two of the show. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about that um, project.
1: I think the podcast is fantastic. I think the show... It's fine,
0: but I think it
1: it lends better to audio. I think they're really good. Like, they take ghost stories that are, like, well-established, and they put it in, like, audio form. And for that, I think it's, like, creepy, and they, they always hit the right tones, and it, like, gives you goosebumps when you listen to it. It's done super well. I think the Amazon Prime show, it's, like it kind it, of like the reenactments come off as a bit corny and the episodes always feel like they're too long because in audio they have to like condense things to tell the story whereas like they have actors played out and it just doesn't do as well with the actors so that that's what i'd say about lore but i mean maybe her episode's good i've only seen like four or five of them so <laughs> there's a there's a whole handful of them out there but that's awesome, a Black Widow movie. Yeah, Yeah,
3: uh, it's scheduled for 2020 release date, um, and uh, they, let's see, got a uh, screenwriter, Jack Schaefer, and there's talks of bringing uh, Sebastian Stan in. The Winter and Soldier, nice. So, you know, it could be post-Cold War related.
1: Oh, yeah, they could do it in the past. Yeah, so, I mean... In the, so she's not necessarily safe, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, you had some other news about Charlie Cox as well?
3: So, uh Charlie Cox was doing a panel last week, and during it, he... And Charlie Cox... Daredevil. Is Daredevil on the Netflix show. Um, when he was first researching his show... He uh, has a good friend that's legally blind. And so he was following around just trying to, like, understand, like, all the mannerisms and all the things that he has to do as a blind person going through, like, day-to-day life so he could portray that on screen. And so he was following around and he was videotaping his friend, like, just to get so he could replay it. And some woman just walked up to him and he says, you have the nerve, and punched him (laughs) because he was videotaping a blind man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) People just can't mind their own business, can they?
0: (laughs) (laughs) She she was a hero in her own mind.
1: (laughs) But not on the stage of Comic-Con or whatever it was. That's interesting. Um, well, that leads me to review on uh, Luke Cage, the other net one of the other Netflix Marvel shows. So I thoroughly enjoyed the second season. Um, they pay, like much like Jessica Jones, they pace it really well. like it's a bit of a slower pace, but it's a consistent pace throughout the entire season. So it's uh, you don't get these episodes where they're like exciting, and then you're just like, "Ah, oh, fucking come on!" After a <laughs> while, because they always do 13 episodes. So sometimes, except for the Defenders, sometimes those episodes can go long when there's when they're trying to do a lot of exposition. They do a, a good job of like having action in every episode, but like pacing it out, doing a lot of musical numbers because it always takes place at this that Harlem club. Um, so this one, they're really exploring what a flawed individual Luke Cage is. And it's pretty fascinating. Like, he's got a lot of anger, which we've seen before. But they're really exploring what it's doing to him and what it can do to everybody if it's not checked. And so it's just, it's really interesting. Uh, the villains and it stay consistent throughout the whole thing. We have... Um, we have, uh, and her name escapes me at the moment, but the one who plays Black Mariah, um, uh, God, she won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress a couple years ago, but uh, Effie, nah, it'll come to me later. Anyway, um, she does a great job in this. Like She is just like, on. she starts out, she's like, within the first season, she had kind of slowly become a villain. And then, like, in this season, it's, like, she's a villain, but she's still trying to go straight. And then just watching her descend into madness through, like, drugs and alcohol. And, like, it's just, she does such a great job of, like, showing this downward spiral. And then there's another character uh, that goes by the name of Bushmaster, who's, like, he takes these drugs to kind of become a superhero. And uh, he's Jamaican, and so they spend a lot of time, like, showing like the Jamaican part of Harlem and it's really interesting all the little touches they have in there but the character is interesting a because he's like he's a like physically a match for Luke Cage but there's also a lot of parallels between the characters so it's really interesting watching that interplay and they don't kill him off in the beginning or anything like that like <laughs> like they did in the first season which was the downfall of the first season it was it was a really good season but they take this villain who is so good and then they kill him off like eight episodes into it and then just introduce this other one. You're like, what? Like It's just like kind of story whiplash. They don't do it in this one. It's a consistent story. Bounces between these two two villains that are really fighting each other in a way. And Luke Cage is in the middle of it. And where they, and I won't spoil it, but where they end up at the end of the season. And like watching it play out, it makes sense but never would have expected them to go where they went. And it's like, it's, I I keep thinking about it and I cannot wait for a third season because it really needs to be resolved. Um, it's crazy the way they end the season. And so I'll just leave it at that. But, uh, they also managed to introduce some iron fist characters in this or not introduce, but reintroduce, and actually make them work. Like, um, uh, Iron Fist is in an episode, and he's not annoying. Like, he actually, like, works really well as like a counter ballast to Luke Cage. And they just do a, a really good job, like, playing back and forth with each other. So, it kind of gives me hope for the new Iron Fist season, because I know they got a new showrunner. And, uh, if this is an indication of what's to come, I like that way better. Plus, they give him the Iron Fist, and there's no shortage of Iron Fist. He just Blows the fist. Iron like, fisting. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> that was a problem in the show. It was like he would use his iron fist and it was like boom. And then it's like gone. And then he just like has to use kung fu. And it's like, well, I want to see him use the iron fist a lot, you know? Uh, they seem to not care about that in this one. <laughs> He's leveled up, I guess. Permanent <laughs> iron fist. So um, I,
0: they also do the, uh, I think Colleen Wing mm-hmm. and give uh, Misty Knight. Yeah. They're training together.
1: Well, Misty Knight um, lost her arm in the defenders. And so they explore that for a while. And then Colleen Wang is sort of, they have one episode where she's with them. And it's not so much that she's training her, although they are boxing and stuff, but this is clearly something that they both do. But she's not letting her feel sorry for herself with the arm because everybody who sees her has to mention the arm like over and over again, like insult her about her arm. And so um she's actually starting to like feel down about and Colleen Wayne kind of like doesn't let her feel sorry for herself, and then they wind up giving her a bionic arm, like in the comics. And that's pretty cool. They don't overdo anything with it, like it feels a little bit real, just we have so like with with the recent wars we've had, there's been such advances in and you know replacing limbs that it doesn't come off as overly corny or anything but um yeah they have an episode of those two together which leads to like Iron Fist coming in like an episode or two
0: later well and that's exciting on its own just because there's a comic series called Power Man and Iron Fist no no there's a comic series called Daughters of the Dragon that is Misty Knight and her and I think Night, (coughs) Night Nurse might be involved with that too which is Rosario Dawson's character yeah and she's in
1: this season as well
0: and I have she never leaves I've heard she might be done but yeah. I hope she's not cause she should be the she's kind of the central character of the entire yeah, Netflix she's the one that connects them all every show yeah she's yeah, the only every one every season
1: see. she's in it yeah. she's the best what is that noise aliens
2: it's a loud-ass vehicle
1: it's a loud ass vehicle Oh yeah oh it's my neighbor's truck huh wonder if I left the window open somewhere <laughs> anyway um so then that, that led me to another Netflix show I wanted to review and I'll just be very quick I know you're almost done with it mom but yes. season two of glow yes what would you think of this so far I know you, you you're like what 30 minutes away from finishing the last episode 11 minutes 11 minutes okay. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> It's great. I love the second season because they went into more uh, detail of problems in people's lives and a character not wanting to be gay and uh, things like that. And all the horrible sexism at that time.
1: Mm, And racism. And racism. I spent a lot of time talking about that too. Yeah. But yeah. then also the wrestling is better in it. Yeah, that's true. And funnier. Like the yeah. storylines they have are so much crazier and funnier.
2: Yeah, I love the goat.
1: <laughs> like there there's a thing in there where basically at a certain point they realize that their show is going to get shit canned. And so Mark Marin's character is like, "Well, we only got four episodes. Let's make them real weird." <laughs> <laughs> And then they have an episode where it's the entire thing is an episode of the show and it's the most batshit crazy plots that are going on. And it's so, so much fun. It is like it's, it's supposed to be done as if you're watching it in the eighties. So it's like box style and like the older colors, yeah. but like they don't do the annoying tracking thing or anything. It's just like it, they yeah. make it look like eighties, but it's so much fun. Like the, I, I really enjoyed. Um, exploring Betty Gilpin's character more—the one who uh, played Liberty Bell. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they really get into like her relationship with her with her friend, and uh, how she's not necessarily the victim in this whole thing either. Like it, yeah. it definitely cuts both ways, and so they explore the other side of that a lot more. Um, I just I thought it was a really well done season. I yeah. thought it was better than the first season.
2: Yeah, it was, and I thought it was really touching the one character uh, trying to deal with the fact that he might be gay mm-hmm. that and then the whole AIDS thing, which they just barely touch on, but
1: yeah, because I don't think they at this point they really know.
2: Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, they did because he told everybody to bleach everything, you know.
1: Right, but wasn't it at the time where they were like, where they still thought it was like, they were calling it gay cancer and things like that? Like, I don't think they they, really got into it. They knew
2: that you cut, they didn't, I don't think they hadn't identified HIV, but they knew that gay people got it. and, Mm -hmm. And of course, they were afraid it was, they weren't exactly sure how it was transmitted, so. Yeah.
1: Anyway, really good season of TV. Brand, you had some stuff about the Emmys you wanted to bring up?
3: So they announced the Emmys today, or the nominations for the Emmys, and we don't have the time, and I don't have the energy to go through all of them. <laughs> um, there's a couple things I wanted to um, note. Uh, Peter, Peter Dinklage uh, broke a record today. He has been nominated for every season of Game of Thrones for uh supporting actor which um so it would be seven seasons as is which broke the record for nominations wow. deserves it too yeah're like, really great, deserves great it. every year um the other thing that I wanted to mention was like Game of Thrones like Everything writing, directing, like, it's nominated for everything. The only thing it doesn't have is lead actors um, because they nominated uh, Kit Harrington and uh, Amelia Clark because in the last few years they had put her up as, put them both up as supporting actors. Do
1: you have the list of who they were up against?
3: Uh, I've got well, the they were first. nominated.
1: You got it. Okay, Carl, will find
3: it. Go ahead and finish your thought. I'm sorry, Brandon.
2: Um, looking?
3: Looking? but they were what? not. So the okay. Game of Thrones did not have a lead actor nominated. Yeah. The, do you have the list of who was nominated
1: for those? For what? Yeah. Uh, lead actor. Lead
3: actor and, in a. Okay,
0: we've got uh, Jason Bateman in Ozark.
1: Haven't seen
2: uh, it. It's, good. it's um,
3: good. Does he deserve it?
2: Yeah. Okay. He's real good in it.
0: Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us, and he won last year.
3: And he also is Sterling K. Brown is nominated for lead actor in a comedy role for Brooklyn 99 Nine. <laughs> yeah, that's a good episode. I haven't seen it. Ed
0: Harris, Westworld. Uh, Matthew Reese, The Americans. Milo Ventimiglia, This Is Us, and Jeffrey Wright, Westworld.
1: Yeah, I got to say Jeffrey Wright and uh, um, Ed Harris are really good in Westworld. That's the only one I've seen. So.
2: <laughs> Ed Harris is good in anything, though, really.
1: Yeah. What about for uh, uh, lead actress?
3: Lead actress, we got Claire Foy for The Crown.
1: I haven't seen, but people seem to love oh,
3: that. Oh, really good. Tatiana Maslany for... Orphan Black.
1: Yeah, um, she's she's fantastic. She's playing like twenty-five yeah, roles. Yeah, <laughs>
3: she's got so many roles in that. Uh Elizabeth Moss for The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, she deserves that. Really yeah. good. Uh Sandra O oh for Killing Eve. I haven't seen it. Uh Carrie Russell for the Americans and Evan Rachel Wood for Westworld.
1: Yeah, Evan Rachel Wood really good. I know the Americans like people always rave about it. So.
2: Yeah, she's very good in the Americans.
1: So I gotta say, I guess you could look at it as a snub, but these are all nominees that seem to make sense to yeah. me. So yeah, uh, I, there's just a lot of good TV. I,
2: I don't think Kit Harington personally should be up for an no.
3: acting no. award. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, and, and, and I, I, I just either. no, I don't either. Love the show, just,
2: but. Uh,
3: <laughs> I know there's people like uh, talking that there's one place where that it's lacking. It's it's that trap where you love a show so you
1: assume that that's the best thing. Yeah, out there. like it's the same. I, I do it all the time at the Academy Awards every year. Like there will be something okay. where I'm like, this person needs an Oscar, and I'll like go off about it. And then, often, for the show, I'll wind up watching every best picture, and I try and watch, like, everything from the major categories, and then you realize sometimes, like, oh, no, somebody else deserves that. Yeah. Like, a good example this year was, uh, oh, who was it? There was, like, somebody for best supporting actress, and, oh, um, uh, what's her face from Roseanne, uh, Laurie Metcalf. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. So good in Lady Bird. I was like, she deserves an Oscar, like, she needs one, like give it to her and then i watch alice and Janney and i tanya and i'm like yeah i mean alice and Janney is like even better <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's like you know she
2: was really good in that
1: yeah it's hard to judge if you haven't yeah. seen everything and who's seen every show like well. there's so many of them
2: <coughs> and kit harrington's great for the character it's just that there's not a lot of emotion in his acting
1: he's really great in that uh andy samberg uh hbo documentary where they're doing wimbledon do you know what i'm talking yeah. about did you see that yeah
0: did you see this carl i did not
1: I he think, was better I, in that <laughs> i think you would love it it's like it's hilarious all the comedians that you love <laughs> um it's it's done as an hbo sports documentary but it's basically andy samberg Plays this, like, the bad boy of tennis. And uh, Kit Harrington is, like, this guy who's, like, trained from the time he's, like, four years old to be, like, a big tennis player.
2: Plus he's pretty.
1: <laughs> Plus he's very pretty, yeah. And he always says indubitably to everything because he thinks that that's an intelligent word. Yeah. So he uses it incorrectly all the time. But it's just it's so fucking funny and crazy and I think it winds up with them both dying, doesn't it? Something like, like yeah. that. It was pretty funny. They wound up, <laughs> up on a match that lasts for like two weeks. Yeah. And, <laughs> insanity ensues, but And then they did another one, not with Kit Harrington, but with Annie Sandberg, where they did a um what was it? They did a bicycling one.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I saw that not one
1: too. Quite as good. Still funny, but not as good. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Anyway, uh, is there anything else
1: anybody uh, want to bring up?
3: The other thing I want to bring up was uh, one of the short or uh, films that they, or TV films that they did, was uh, uh, 451. Oh, which well, is based Fahrenheit on four, four, Fahrenheit 451 mm. with uh, Michael B. Jordan and uh, Michael Shannon.
1: Yeah, mm. I watched the first half of that and I had to turn it off the other night, so I didn't get to finish it. But it was pretty good from what I saw. But.
3: It was really good. I because I I remember I read the book. It was two or three years ago, and I talked about it on the podcast because I I read. Uh, Fahrenheit 451 and I followed it up with 1984 or so yeah Ooh. I was in a dark place <laughs> <laughs> at that time but yeah
1: um, <coughs> I actually made River read both of those books I did have you made a
2: read Animal Farm yet
1: <laughs> no because I haven't read Animal Farm yet but I know that that's one that's got to be in that mix right yeah no yeah. My, my whole thing is like all the kids I want to have I want them to have a healthy degree of skepticism. Um, not just to government, but just like to society in general. I think if you accept everything, it's kind of a problem. Yeah, Like you should be always looking for underlying things. And I think those books do a really good job of that. Like,
3: yeah, The thing that I, uh, when I was watching 451, cause I watched it last week or, and the thing I saw on it, is because they had, uh, when they were, uh, Ray Bradbury was talking about future literature. Um, there was, like, two forms of literature that were accepted. One was basically, like, graphic novel comic book form. And the other one was, uh, it was, like, a picture word. And he described it, and it didn't make sense reading it. But when I saw it on HBO, it's like, oh, it's emojis. Oh, <laughs> and we're like, oh, this totally makes sense. And like seeing it in like modern times, like, because Fahrenheit 451 came out in, in the 50s. 50s yeah, it's 60s, see, that's 60s, good. It's yeah. scary
2: because that was a long, written a long time Dude, ago.
1: 1984, every year has never been more accurate, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. And that was written in the 40s. Yeah. Yeah, it's, those books are like so prophetic. I'd, I'd say they're prophetic, but I think they just like understand society. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they just human understand, nature. yeah, they understand human nature.
2: And, and so and that's they were why
1: ri- they're always timely.
2: And you have to remember they were written at a time during the height of the Cold War where a lot of surveillance and stuff was on people's minds because of that, yeah. because of the way things were happening. But handled is it the ever not in our
1: minds since the 40s? Like it's constantly a thing. Even, yeah. Even when you go past that, I mean, like like nowadays, we're always thinking about it with like, we're talking about with Facebook all the time yeah. right now. Like what Facebook is allowing you to use, right? Like that's the latest example.
0: I I mean, mean, well, and that's the funny part, though, is that it's always on our minds, but we're still, we just are oblivious to it as well, because we all know that our information has been shared with countless times now. Yeah. And we're all still on Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) And we all know that it's bad, but none of us have quit. We do it anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, if I'm being honest, partly it's because it's just like. It, it promotes the like podcast really <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I started on Facebook, but also like I get invited to more things now, and I talk to friends a lot more often on Facebook, which leads me to talking to them in person. Well, like, it's been a healthy thing for me, but I can see how the like there's a lot of darkness with it too. Quitting
0: Facebook would only work if all of us quit at the same time. Yeah, yeah. we. One person quits, and they're just leaving themselves out.
1: Yeah, but yeah. Facebook is going to die.
0: It's not our generation that's going to do it. No, it it's definitely... Well, you know, there's still people that use MySpace. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's not really that these things die. It's just that the vast majority of people move on to the next Yeah, thing. like, what I'm
1: seeing is teenagers are using Snapchat and Mm -hmm. Instagram and don't give a fuck less about Facebook. They only have it to talk to older people. Well,
0: and the reason why we are still on Facebook and haven't switched to those things is that they just incorporate those things into Facebook. Yes.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So we are
0: still sort of in the loop, sort of. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The thing I found really scary about Facebook is I was listening to something on NPR where they were saying that people that have never been on facebook have facebook profiles because huh. they've collected information yeah, about them I from their friends yeah.
0: <laughs> bots they call them that's a big thing on twitter like how do you even know the person you're talking to is a real person
2: yeah and half
0: of them are complete robots and the other half are literally people that sit in offices in russia yeah and just type you know incendiary things. Uh, there using. was
1: there was this uh, Fox News talking head who uh, he he always used to brag about how many Twitter followers he had, and then they found this algorithm that like broke down all these bots and like for Twitter, and so they started using it and like. He had something like 5 million followers, and it, like, went down to less than a million, like, overnight. Because it was, like, 4 million. Like, he had clearly paid to get, like, all of this. Artificial inflation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That shit just, like, makes me laugh. Because it's so hard. Like, the few times i try to do a Twitter account, I don't think I've hit 20 yet. Like, ever. And I know people, but it's, like, finding... Finding people to follow you on Twitter is so fucking hard. And you look at the celebrities and you're like, how do they get to, like, millions? And it's like, well, they didn't really get to millions. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and the other funny thing about Twitter, too, is that the people that are into it are, like, really into it. Yeah. To the point where it has its own inherent social currency. <laughs> you know, it's like that community episode with the meow meow beans. The meow meow like, beans. Yeah. If you don't have enough followers and you try to tell somebody something, sometimes they'll just be like, I don't even listen to people with less than 250 (laughs) k followers. Your opinion is worth nothing because you don't have the followers. You know, it's like even if you're making a good point, your opinion is just not valid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't have that social currency. Yeah, I
1: did have somebody throw that at my face in Twitter one time. And, (laughs) uh, cause I only had like 15 followers or whatever, but (laughs) I was like, somebody said something real, real messed up about, uh, Pizzagate and I was Mm -hmm. calling him to task for it and he was just like, he's like, here... I, I'll give you a retweet. I'm sure that's the most followers you've ever had seeing your stuff. And I was like, dude, I don't care about that. Like, you're yeah. wrong. And it's scary that you have that many followers because yeah. you're just, wrong. like, polluting. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But that's probably a good place to cut off. So take it easy.
2: Nice. <laughs> well, respect
0: the outro. i love how fat, how sudden it always just cuts off <laughs> it's like oh we're past
1: an hour and i'm hot as hell did
0: <laughs> i didn't even realize how like sweaty my ears were getting
1: thank you for listening to the not For network check out one of our many other shows charles Orr horror show geek lanterns light movies with wrestlers real roulette the alien movie project montucky skies and we had a good life